Roxy Soxy. Good morning, Tam Tam. How are you doing today? Good. I'm good. We're kind of like on this fun little journey slash train ride together. And yes, I slept reached... in your bed last night. <laughs> you did. You weren't in it. No, unfortunately. No, sadly. sadly. <laughs> How can you leave me today? I mean, although you did leave half your washing under your pillow. I did. Uh, a few underwear were there. <laughs> I was like, interesting. 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 Um, I am going to be sad to see you leave. You are. But now that I know that I can stay in your place and mm. I wasn't such a burden, <laughs> I think I'm going to stay. You were actually very hospitable. See? I I'm was a, shocked. I'm a no, great host. Yeah. You were very nice. You said, eat anything out of the fridge yes right that's what she said i mean and so i did right me casa a su casa as they say <laughs> is that what they say <laughs> my daughter learned a little bit of spanish at school did she yeah. what can she say agua <laughs> so that it. Agua. agua i can't even say it agua yeah it's pretty much it but today we have a little bit of a different podcast um this lady i have followed for a very long time and especially mm-hmm. you know i was in nashville when the latest shootings happened mm-hmm. and it was really it hit really close to home for me because the the area that it happened was walking distance to my daughter's school mm. and i really do believe that we are affected by things that we see through our own lens Mm -hmm. and also being an Australian Mm -hmm. and I've, I'd never even seen a gun until I was 22 years old. I hadn't even seen an actual gun. Not in real life at all. Not in real life. I'd never looked for an exit in a, in a movie theater. Mm -hmm. I had never feared for my life in a school. Mm -hmm. I had never gone to a gift shop where you could also buy a weapon. Mm -hmm. So it was, it's very strange because a lot of our listeners are Australian. Mm -hmm. So it's very strange for them to fully understand you know the plight of gun reform right and trying to and trying to make this a safer place for our children for for all of us Mm -hmm. and they don't really understand it because they don't understand how you know buying a gun is so easily accessible yes because it is it's like going into a store almost and not having to there's a lot in a lot of places there's no waiting period i mean Mm -hmm. you can walk into a store and purchase a gun and it's it's actually quite scary to think about that gun then getting into the wrong hands and then they're in you know many things can arise from that so and also i think as parents like when i became a parent your sole focus as a parent is to protect your children. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened with this latest gun sh- gun shooting in Nashville is I, I really did not feel like I could protect my child. Mm. And I ended up buying a bulletproof backpack. <gasps> and I remember oh. receiving it in the mail and I just burst into tears. And I was like, I cannot believe we've 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 got to this Mm -hmm. and you know all the kids on this on the you know for the next couple weeks were wearing like bulletproof vests oh my gosh and you're like how is this happening in america right a lot of them are learning the teachers are learning how to defend you know themselves and the kids and teachers should be focused only on teaching the children that should be their only concern you know it's taking care of the kids and not having to save the kids' lives, save their Mm -hmm. lives, you know, having to have all these other stresses. I think it's really important Mm -hmm. for us to give space to this topic Mm -hmm. and to talk about it and who better to have on our next guest. I'm, when I slid into her DMs. (laughs) (laughs) And I I remember I was having one of my manifestation, like, I'm feeling good. So I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to the people I really want on this show. It's what happened when we got Glennon Doyle on. I remember I was hiking as well and she came back and I was like, she's in my DMs. Um, But she came, she slid right back. back. Uh, she gave it back. We love it. We so love it. Who do we have on today, Roxy? So we are so honored to welcome and thrilled to have this guest. Um, she's an amazing mother. She created the largest 
female-led grassroots charity mm-hmm. organization in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it the, what she has done to change lives is so amazing. And even from there, she has carried her leadership on to focus on, you know, women's health and mm-hmm. women's mental health and just all of these fantastic things. So without further ado, let's welcome Shannon Watts, the founder of Moms Demand Action. Thank yes. You. I'm so thrilled to be here. I why are you, why yeah. are you here? Just kidding. <laughs> yes. Yes. She's like, I wanted a vacation. <laughs> no, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. You know, as moms, I feel like when I became a mom, I felt really sort of invisible. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so incredible that you created something with moms backing you behind mm-hmm. you who are the people who feel so invisible and you actually galvanized all these women to make a difference how did it all begin do you i really want to know the moment where you said to yourself i'm going to do something about this because we all feel lost in this topic mm-hmm. and we don't know what to do mm-hmm. um so a lot of us just do what we can and then sort of let everything else happened around us feeling like we can't make any active change. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you were just talking about Nashville. And for me, the school shooting that caused me to get off the sidelines was the Sandy Hook school shooting Mm -hmm. in 2012. And at the time I lived in Indiana, I was a stay-at-home mom. I was taking a break from my career in corporate communications, Mm -hmm. blending my family with my husband's together. We have five kids. And at that time, they ranged in age from elementary all the way to college. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take a little break. And then I was thinking about going back to work. And I was folding laundry in my bedroom, cold day in December. And suddenly there was this breaking news, Chiron, that there was an active shooter in Newtown, Connecticut. Never had heard of this town. And I just sort of stopped what I was doing, sat on the side of my bed, and for hours and hours watched Mm. this horrific tragedy unfold. Mm. And I wish I could say it's hard to fathom that 20 children and six educators were slaughtered in the sanctity of an American elementary school, but it's happened again and again and again in the last decade. Um, I never imagined myself to be an activist. I really wasn't politically active. I knew nothing about the issue of gun violence, the legislative process, certainly not organizing. Mm -hmm. I just was so angry that I knew I had to do something. And so the next day, I started a new Facebook page. Back then, Facebook was like the place to be, right? Especially for middle-aged moms. Mm -hmm. And I called it One Million Moms for Gun Control before my kid who's gay told me One Million Moms was actually a group trying (laughs) to get Ellen DeGeneres not to be the spokesperson for JCPenney. And before a congresswoman called me and said, we do not use the word gun control. We don't use that phrase. So I was a focus group of one starting this organization in my kitchen, but I heard from so many other angry women and mothers who were so fed up by the culture of gun violence. And what I thought was going to be an online conversation very quickly became an offline movement. Mm. So what was the initial, so putting, you know, galvanizing these women, as Tamman was saying, How did you even go about that? I mean, I know you started the Facebook group, but like, were you reaching out to people in your community? Were you reaching out to family and friends? Like, how did this sweep like the nation essentially and Mm. garner all of this support? I think what makes that question so interesting is the fact that I am an only child and an introvert. It's not like I had this huge network of friends to tap into. Um, I've moved around a lot. And so, you know, I, like I said, was a stay at home mom. And there were so many offers 
of support and help from perfect strangers all across the country. It was almost like lightning in a bottle. I can't really put it into words except that every time there was a need, someone stepped up. Every time there was a challenge, people helped me get it removed. You know, I had women who were lawyers help me trademark our new name. I had website developers offer their pro bono assistance. I had organizers and political consultants, um, experts from all over the country and the world who said it is time for women to organize on this issue. And, you know, if you look at the history, particularly in America, it's always women who force change. It's always women who are on the front lines of social issues. Um, and, and I think women are the secret sauce to activism. I mean, we have certainly tried to organize men and no offense to men. Um, I, I'm married to a man. I have a son, but they are not the most, um, prolific activists, at least maybe in certain generations. And maybe I'm talking specifically about cis het white men, right? But I, I just, We've tried to organize men, and it's over and over the women who show up in their communities, in their state houses, in their city councils, in their schools, and do what I call the unglamorous heavy lifting of activism. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, when the school shooting, back to the Nashville school shooting happened, I just, I felt like that for me was that moment where I had to do something. And I think so many moms feel that way now they've gotten to a point where you can't just thoughts and prayer it right like it without mm-hmm. actual action nothing is going to change do you feel like it's going to get better mm-hmm. because for me what i when i go to bed the biggest fear is that not only is it not changing it could be getting worse like mm-hmm. i the bump stock um law that just now has so they they outlawed bump stocks which is a a a piece that you can put on a weapon that turns a rifle into pretty much a machine gun and it was outlawed i think in 2019 and there's 36 states that now allow bump stocks which turn a weapon into pretty much a machine gun Mm -hmm. and that just happened recently so for me i just feel so lost in this cause because it's like do i want change absolutely but Mm -hmm. is it is it going to change Mm -hmm. (laughs) There is significant change. So some of this will just take a while. When I started doing this work back in 2012, about a quarter of all Democrats in Congress had an A rating from the NRA, a quarter of all Democrats. And it really did take Moms Demand Action to hold these lawmakers accountable. And by that, I mean actually showing up where they were campaigning and and cornering them and saying, how dare you? be on the side of the gun lobby. And slowly but surely that changed. Now, today, not a single member that is a Democrat in Congress has an A rating. But in fact, they all have Fs and they're all proud of them. So that's the kind of cultural change that we're seeing. There are federal laws that are being passed that protect Americans. The most significant federal legislation in a generation, 26 years, just passed last summer. It was called the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, and it really looks at gun violence holistically and puts a lot of uh, dollars and closes a lot of loopholes and, and, and puts in place a structure that is making us safer. Where we're having problems is really at the state level. So the states in this country that are blue states are strengthening their gun laws, but the states that are red are weakening their gun laws. So states like Tennessee, you know, they've passed 
everything that the gun lobby has hoped for and more. Um, they just passed permitless carry recently. So you don't have to have a background check, a permit, or any safety training to carry a hidden loaded handgun in public in over two dozen states, including Tennessee. Um, so we have to make sure that we're thinking about this in every election cycle, because what happens is that there are judges appointed that are siding with the gun lobby. The Supreme Court now has been siding with the gun lobby. And it's if we care about the safety of not just our own kids, but our communities and communities all across the country, because to be clear, mass shootings and school shootings are about 1% of the gun violence in this country, then we have to become single issue voters. I know we don't live single issue lives, but I, I want to take it back to Tennessee, right? This was a conservative, mostly white Christian school where this shooting happened. I would bargain with you that most of those parents voted in the gun extremists who are making their children, putting their children at risk. Mm -hmm. So what happens this next election cycle? Who are they going to vote for? Can they find it within themselves to vote for candidates who will make their kids and their communities safer? And I think that's something that that women can help decide. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's an excellent point because I think a lot of people just get so focused on like the presidential election or like their governor, like kind of the top of the, you know, the top of the heap. But they really need to pay attention to the local judges, the state Mm -hmm. judges, federal. I mean, literally starting with the most local representatives and working the way up, because those are the ones that are going to impact their Mm -hmm. daily lives on a daily basis. You know, they're the ones who are deciding in your region, you know, what's going to pass, what's happening. Mm -hmm. So you're right. It is. And it's very confusing because some states, you know, are better with gun reform and then Others aren't. But why do you think there is such an opposition to gun reform in general? Why are so many people opposed to it? Because it's not saying taking away people's guns. That's not what it is. It's just saying strengthening the background checks, you know, the laws to get guns and making it, you know, a little bit harder, but not taking away. So why do you think that that is such a you know, hotbed issue and why people are so opposed to it? I was also going to say, and statistically, what I read was don't most people want gun reform? That's what I was going to ask too. Is like mm-hmm. it's something really high, like eighty to. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong on this. Eighty to. 90, they want gun reform. So then, is it just money? Is right. it is that just it? That's the all, NRA, right? Is that all yeah. it is? And is that true? Do most people want gun reform? Mm-hmm. It is true. You know, when we think about this issue, we think of it as polarizing. It's actually not. Mm-hmm. Something like eighty to ninety percent of Americans. It really depends on when you're doing the polling. Has there just been a shooting tragedy? But but. The vast majority of Americans support common sense gun laws like a background check on every gun sale. We believe that it's polarizing because we have such a difficult time making headway on the issue. Why is that? Because there is this very vocal minority in America of gun extremists mm-hmm. who have held back progress. You know, we have something in America besides the Second Amendment that no other nation has, and that is a gun lobby that has really perverted the Second Amendment and turned it into a money-making venture. This has nothing to do with freedom. This has nothing to do with safety. It has really nothing to do with self-defense at the end of the day. It has to do with selling more guns to more people. There are about 400 million guns now in circulation in this country. And it is not polarizing. It's so important to remember that. And and when you look at recent polling about um, who believes in in solutions for gun safety, Republican women and Democratic women agree on the same solutions. 
And those are swing voters in this country. Mm-hmm. So again, if we can get them to vote on this issue, right? We know, for example, in Virginia that there were people who went to the polls and they were voting because they were angry that their schools were closed during COVID. As a result, they elected a governor who is in the back pocket of the gun lobby, mm-hmm. right? So you're not making your kids safer when you do that. It's just, it's such a, you know, it, when I, I've been so vocal on this issue, mm-hmm. I think it's really important. To, I have a couple of million followers and I can't be quiet anymore, mm-hmm. right? No matter what the backlash is. Mm-hmm. And I get the same backlash. When there is backlash, it's the same thing. And it's the main two things that I, that I, that are written in my, in my messages, which is one, guns don't kill people. Mm-hmm. People kill people. And mm-hmm. I always respond with, no. People kill people with really easy access to guns. <laughs> um, and the other one is um, it's a mental, mental health, health crisis. Mm-hmm. It is not a gun crisis. Mm-hmm. What do you say to those two issues? Mm. People do kill people with right, guns. Right. So that's why they should not have background knife. checks and safety mm-hmm. training. And we should regulate the guns that they have easy access to. We know what is causing gun violence in this country. Because we have a 26 times higher gun homicide rate than any peer nation. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we're more evil. It's not that we're more mentally ill. It's that we have easy access to arsenals and and ammunition, right? Mm -hmm. That is the reason. When you talk about mental illness, um, we have the same rates of mental illness as people in peer nations. Mm -hmm. And yet, again, we have a 26 times higher gun homicide rate. So Mm -hmm. it's also very stigmatizing. Mm -hmm. You know, people who are mentally ill are much more likely to be victims of violent crime than perpetrators. Mm -hmm. And, and, Many of these lawmakers who point their fingers at mental illness every time there's a shooting tragedy are the same people who are cutting funding for mental illness and making guns more easily available. So there are just these red herrings that the point of it is to change the conversation because they don't want they can't say thoughts and prayers anymore, no, right? I did, because I it's become so cliche. But now they want to point at other issues, and if we can stay focused and have the data at our fingertips, then we can have conversations to say, no, that's absolutely not true. And the best time to talk about the solutions to gun violence is after, after a shooting, shooting tragedy. Right. So what are the solutions? Because I know as parents, you know, you hear about one of these school shootings and you immediately, you know, grab your chest and you can't breathe because you, you're you so fearful for your own kids, you know, like sending them to school and, you know, just daily life, going to the movies, you know, going to a playground, you know? So what is the best way to help keep parents keep their kids safe? Mm. So if we're talking about, if we're talking about school shootings, Mm -hmm. it's really important to remember that these aren't just, you know, shadowy figures for the most part who are entering schools Mm -hmm. and unleashing chaos. Mm -hmm. These are former students or current students over 80% of school shooters are students. How do they get their guns? Again, over 80% of them have easy access to unsecured guns inside their homes. They have access to loaded guns in their cars or their parents' bedrooms. Um, In some cases, their parents have even bought them guns. And we know that if we want to stop school shootings or gun violence on school grounds, Mm -hmm. because we're seeing many more shootings now at athletic events like football games and soccer games. 
if we want to stop that gun violence, we have to keep guns off campus before it can begin, right? From colleges, from schools. And one important way to do that is encouraging secure gun storage or requiring secure gun storage. About half of all states right now in this country, maybe more like 30, um, require adult gun owners to securely store their firearms. That means they are kept locked, unloaded, and separate from ammunition. But the consequences of breaking those laws are not that significant. In some states, it's you know a four hundred dollar fine. It's a misdemeanor. <laughs> How would they even know, too? You know, mm. if it's in your own house, right? Well, that's the point, right? The responsibility, yeah. the onus, has to be on the adult gun mm. owner to know right how they're securing their firearms, right? Um, and so, about something like you know two or three million children live in homes right now with unsecured guns. Right. And so that's a big piece of this. When you're talking about gun violence more holistically and not just school shootings or mass shootings, a background check on every gun sale would go a long way toward keeping guns out of the hands of dangerous people, um, making sure that domestic abusers don't have easy access to guns. Many shootings in this country have their origins in an incident of domestic violence. Um, unlocking dollars for um community violence intervention programs. These are people who actually go door to door in neighborhoods and stop retaliatory gun violence before it can happen. So again, this is a complicated problem. We know what the holistic solutions are. We just have to commit to putting them in place. And the solutions seem like understandable, but yet what are the people who are fighting against gun reform actually hearing? My husband's always about trying to understand what they're feeling and thinking and afraid of. Because if we if we don't, we don't have that conversation, then we can't actively change anything. So why are people so afraid, gun reform in general? Again, we are talking about a very vocal minority. Mm. If we were voting on this issue, those people wouldn't matter. We wouldn't have to change their hearts. And I'm not sure that we can. Right. I'm not sure too, right? it's right. propaganda. Yeah. Can you mm-hmm. change those people's minds? If 80 to 90% of Americans are voting on this issue and they're voting for lawmakers who reject the gun lobby, then we have changed. Like, I'll give you an example Virginia. When I started doing this work, I had no hope that we would pass common sense gun laws in Virginia. It was a very red state. And even the Democratic governor, Mark Warner, was voting for NRA initiatives. Because of our activism, because we got involved in getting out the vote, um, because we invested in election cycles. In 2019, we were able to flip both chambers of the General Assembly in Virginia and the governor. And we passed over a dozen gun laws in the, in the aftermath of that election. And those laws are still in place, even though there's a Republican governor, right? So I can give you so many examples of where we've had significant change. Mm-hmm. And if you live in a really red state, you're, it's not hopeless. Mm-hmm. We've gone into many states and and undone the damage done by the gun lobby. But back to your question, we don't have to have conversations to change the hearts and minds of extremists. Mm-hmm. We have to vote out the lawmakers Right. Who are really holding us hostage to mm-hmm. the gun lobby. Mm-hmm. So I w- have you ever had any backlash from yeah, the NRA? Like, that. have they ever, <laughs> like, you know, come ever? after you? <laughs> you? Right. Or like, you know, gun people who are, who are totally against gun reform. Like, do you get backlash from these mm. big, um, you know, organizations like NRA and stuff oh, like that? Oh, it started immediately. Does it scare <gasps> you? Yeah. At first it did. And mm-hmm. I can remember I called the police in Indiana because I was getting all these threats. Oh. I mean, I, I didn't imagine I'd become a public figure, right. mm-hmm. let alone the tip of the spear on on this issue. Mm-hmm. And so my phone number and my address were there 
for public consumption. And I immediately started getting threats of death, sexual violence to me, to my kids. And so I called the police and and they came to my house and they said, well, that's what you get when you mess with the Second Amendment, ma'am. So I kind of knew I had a choice to make. I was going to have to either back down or double down. And I have a personality that is such that if you try to intimidate me or silence me, like I will <laughs> go, go spider monkey. Yes, we love that. <laughs> That's this show. Yes. yes. And so I just decided then and there I would not be afraid. Mm-hmm. And um, I have had to travel with a, a security guard, an unarmed security guard whose job is to scope out hospitals to take me to if something were to happen at an event. I've had to use an alias um, for my name to travel with for a decade. And I can remember when I did a book tour in 2019, they were dragging armed extremists out of my events. You know, my kids were there. Uh, So yes, I have gotten a lot of threats and it's been a really interesting journey. But to me, it gives me an opportunity to highlight that these are the people who want unfettered access to guns, these people who are threatening my life. Wow. And you've stepped down recently, which what which kind of made me sad, but then I understood because at some point it's time to move into other things. Mm-hmm. What was the do you remember the moment where you were like, okay, it's time to to take a step away and what was the reason behind it? So when I started Moms Demand Action, I certainly never thought, oh, I'm going to be a full-time volunteer for the next decade. Mm-hmm. And there were so many times when I thought to myself, I, I really need to make sure that this doesn't become about me. Mm-hmm. This needs to be about the people who fill the space. Mm-hmm. And I think a founder's role is finite. Right. The organization has to grow and evolve. And so there were times when I thought I should step back and I just didn't end up doing that for because there was a shooting tragedy or there was an important legislative battle. Mm-hmm. But when I was standing in the Rose Garden and President Biden signed the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act into law last summer, it just hit me. You know, this is at the end of 2023, it is time to step back. And so I've spent this year traveling and visiting with volunteers and saying goodbye. Um, you know, I started this organization as a, a white suburban mom who was afraid her kids weren't safe in their schools. I have handed the reins over to a, a black queer mom in Washington, D.C., who sees and experiences gun violence much differently than I did. And I think that's how the organization will continue to grow and evolve and last into perpetuity. Mm. Well, you certainly haven't been doing nothing <laughs> yes. in this time period <laughs> because we were checking all your stuff out. You've been amazing, too, not only with all of the gun reform stuff, but mm-hmm. you've also moved on to, you know, take up women's health and women's mental health and talking about menopause and hormones and like mm. all of these topics that need to be talked about. So tell us about that, Genesis, because it's great that you've also taken that on, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I'm so honored to have have created this audience and this following and this sisterhood mm-hmm. over the last decade. And, and these women are so brilliant and so sophisticated, but I've had to stay focused on one thing and that's gun safety. Mm-hmm. And now it feels so creative and so freeing to be able to talk about issues that impact all women. Um, and so that's been really a, a fun outlet for me. I'm actually writing a book for Maria Shriver's imprint, Open Field, right now that will come out in 2025. But it, it's about leadership and women. And you know what I have seen over and over again is that when you tap into that spark inside you and you unleash it and you start sort of a fire in your life that is the way to be alive. And I never imagined that for myself. And I've not only seen it happen for me, but for so many other women along the way, we all deserve that. And so I want to think more about, 
you probably have this experience where you talk to a woman, they have this great, brilliant idea, but they just don't feel like they can pursue it. And I want to give women permission to do that. And you shared on your Instagram that new research reveals that 30 critiques holding women back from leadership most men will never hear. Mm. And we wrote and, – and I think age plays a role in it. Mm. Attractiveness plays a role in it. Ethnicity plays a role in it. I mean, 30 different characteristics that women will hear about why they're not good as to be leaders. Can you talk a little if bit more to that? If there are 30, where – I know. What is left? What is left? Yeah, right. You know? yeah. And look, I, I think we've all experienced this. I have experienced this. Even in progressive politics, there mm. is sexism. Mm-hmm. And – People, men, don't like it when you promote yourself. They don't like it when you have an idea that you are going to stick with and claim as your own. I mean, I've just seen it play out over and over again. And I think if we're educated and we know the traps that we can fall into and figure out how to avoid them, mm-hmm. and, and we feel less alone. You know, when you're talking about something like leadership or menopause. Hey, I've got a question for you. Do you want to learn a new language? I know I do. I'm planning on going and visiting my sister in Spain this summer, so I am all about learning Spanish. So I'm going to turn to Rosetta Stone. They're a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. And Rosetta Stone immerses you in so many ways. There's no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. There's also built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's almost like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's so convenient and such a great value. And we have such a great deal for you guys. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Women on Top listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Or mental health. I recently posted about pain associated with women's health procedures, including you know IUD insertion or removal. And so many women posted, oh my God, I thought it was just me. I thought I had a a unique experience. And not only do I feel better to know that other people experience that, but I feel like I can demand better for myself. And and I'm excited about playing that role. Mm. No, that is really exciting because this, you know, like we said, the people don't are not talking about this, you know, and you're really kind of putting a face on it. So we wanted to kind of delve in a little more about menopause because you know that is what a lot of our listeners are dealing with right now or perimenopause perimenopause too and like hormones and i know you've been vocal about doing hormone therapy Mm -hmm. and so can you kind of give the listeners a little bit of your journey with that Mm -hmm. so when i had my last period i was 49 years old Mm -hmm. and it had been a year so it was kind of during covid and i thought i'm going to go to the doctor Mm -hmm. and my doctor probably about a 70 year old woman looked at me and said you're going through menopause that's it. And then look so at me and then, like say you are drink some soy milk in your coffee. That's the only information you have to give me. And she's like, yeah, the estrogen will be fine on the soybeans. <gasps> oh, no. I thought, like, great, what? thanks, mom. You're like, enjoy your vagina lashes. will be dry. That's all. That's all I heard. Like it's dried up now anyway. Right? <laughs> and, and so I just thought there's got to be more mm-hmm. to this conversation. Yeah. And so I started doing research on my own. 
which was not easy to find. And I ended up going to a gynecologist who was very pro-hormone replacement therapy. And and it was a man, believe it or not. And he gave me a book called Estrogen Matters. And I became a proselytizer. I probably bought 100 (laughs) copies of this book. And I've handed it out to all my friends and family. But I think it's almost the same as what got me involved in gun violence prevention, this incredible anger that women are not being given access. I mean, our mother's generation went through menopause without the hormones they need to protect their brains and their organs and and their general health. And and that's outrageous. It shouldn't it would never be an acceptable thing for a man, right? To to be deprived of of, of this health benefit. And so I think we just need to be having these conversations and and kind of creating these communities and and being online now, we can do that where we're talking about right. what do you know and how could it benefit me? Mm-hmm. And we're kept out of so many studies. We had Ugh. Alicia Vitti from uh, the book Woman Code, which is my Bible. And I've actually cycle synced for the last eight years. So I actually eat, mother, have sex, work out in accordance to my cycle because my hormones have always been a little all over the shop. And I didn't realize how little people know about their mm-hmm. – well, women know about their bodies and their hormones and how it can affect you in so many different ways. And there's so much money that gets put into – now I think men can uh, get an erection with a pill, like giving a, li- right. a liquid form or like a chew- – like they've spent money in developing something right. so they don't have to take a pill. Now they can just chew it. <laughs> and like we have no money that is researching endometriosis. Right. And it's and Picos it's, and, and all those. Yes, and everything. Right. It's, just, it's shocking how kept out of studies we are mm-hmm. as women. It's just shocking. Or even that we believe the information or women right. doctors right. believe the information. I can't tell you how many women have said to me, I asked my doctor to allow me to have access to hormone replacement therapy and they said I would get breast cancer. Right. Well, that's actually not that what myth? the data shows. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And and it is more complicated than that. I mean, okay. if you have predisposition mm-hmm. or you've had it before, you obviously have to have that conversation with your doctor. Right. I have no genetic history of breast cancer. Um, there, I was the perfect candidate to go on hormone replacement therapy okay. and I had symptoms okay. that, that caused suffering. And, and it comes back to this idea of how much suffering do women have to endure mm-hmm. before it's taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's unfortunate. And I know with mental health too. I mean, women run into the same blockheads, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, if you feel a little off, especially due to the hormones, you know, you're gaslit. They're like, oh, no, you're just it's that time of the month or you're feeling crazy or whatever right. that is. So can you speak to that, too? Why mental health for women especially mm-hmm. is so important to take seriously? It's so important to take mental health seriously, especially post-COVID. Right. Um, there's just new data out that sh- so shows that black women have the highest rate of suicide right now in this nation. Mm-hmm. And it is very hard to access mental health services. Um, I have a kid who has an eating disorder, anorexia. And to find that kind of mental health access, especially during COVID, was just a nightmare. And so we need to talk about access. We need to talk about um, what we all are struggling with and and figure out ways to, to cope with that. But I would also say... Mental health is used as a way for doctors to say women don't need care. You know, I have a, a Moms to Man Action volunteer in Colorado who was in the middle of having a widowmaker heart attack. Mm-hmm. And a doctor told her that she was just struggling with anxiety mm-hmm. and that, you know, she should be on an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. And she sought out, thankfully, an immediate second opinion that saved her life, mm-hmm. right? So those two things kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Postpartum psychosis, postpartum mm-hmm. depression. Right. I mean, I had such bad postpartum depression with my first, mm. and they gave me Xanax. 
And I felt even, I was like, <laughs> now I feel nothing upon nothing. <laughs> right. Right? Like, I feel so much more hopeless. And then the second time, I did a lot of research, did, studied, and figured out that I needed a night nurse. I needed postpartum care. I needed someone to cook for me. I think women, especially when you have children, you are everyone's helper that you don't ever help yourself. And I just, I literally just paid for someone to drop off soup at my door because I realized that my husband was doing his own thing and my parents were trying to help with the baby's diapers. No one takes care of you as mm -hmm. a woman. But you had to do that research on your own. Oh, yes. No one's, <laughs> no one's doing the research. No one's, doing the research for me. no one's giving me the footnotes. I do for my husband. I just give him the good bits. And I'm like, I've done 20 hours of research research and you just have to read three yeah, short sentences to know how to better parent our kids. <laughs> That's the status quo. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's, it's, yeah. It's the different. access, right? It's, it's like access. the access. So Shannon, we're counting on you <laughs> just like you did mom no pressure. demand action. Right. You've got to change the way for all of these, for all of us women, for health and, and mental therapy health. Therapy so expensive it's too. So I mean, expensive. even in, 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 Without insurance, it still costs me $120. Mm -hmm. So just imagine when people don't have insurance, right. you know, and I had an eating disorder when I was younger. And at least I think that we have to talk about the positive. At least we are more aware mm -hmm. of the issues that yes. are affecting women like eating disorders. I mm -hmm. mean, no one even mentioned mine. I had something called CEN, which is childhood emotional neglect, not from my family or, but just that no one ever said anything. I was 80 something pounds and I was in and out of hospital. No one was like, mm, is this because like you have no stomach lining because you've been throwing up for five and a half years? Like mm -hmm. no one, no one mentioned the issue. So I do think that there's more awareness mm -hmm. of it. And I do think more women are speaking up, but I still think we have a really long way to go. We have a really long way to go. So mm -hmm. like, what should women do that are in this position? Like, are there resources that you recommend or mm -hmm. places that they should go, right? To kind of try to shake some of this out. I do. I mean, from my point I, I, of view, I'm, you know, I'm on Instagram. I'm also writing about this all the time on Substack, which I think is a really interesting community of a lot of women writers and researchers. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do think that it is incumbent on us to create communities. And I see this more and more around menopause. There's so many women stepping up, women doctors who are specializing in this um, and, and starting to have these conversations. That's what I'm, I'm going to be doing through writing the book. So I think it's about letting go of the shame mm -hmm. and refusing to be silent, which is sort of the theme of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I goodness. Believe, yes. If it wasn't for you. Right. But, but starting to have the conversations and – there's so many layers. Like you said, we've come so far talking about eating disorders, but there's so much more to go. I mean, when I look at what my kids' generation is doing around undoing fat shaming, mm -hmm. undoing this gender binary, it's amazing. And I think it's beautiful. And, and it's probably not going to happen in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. But are there ways that we can further that? Yeah, I hope the body positivity or the, the you know, the unraveling of fat shaming, mm -hmm. although we were talking about Ozempic being sold out. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's still this desperate need to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. Even though we're saying it's it's getting better, I, I still fear for my girls. Mm -hmm. I wonder what generation that is too, though, because, right. you know, I'm – almost 53. And Which is I unbelievable. You do <laughs> yeah. not look 53. When you help people, you look better. I know. That's it. <laughs> that's you need to start helping yeah. people, actually. <laughs> we all look much younger. <laughs> the joy <laughs> brings on the collagen. Yes. Yes. It's being an empty nester. I look right. much younger collagen since my kids. Production. <laughs> that's okay. You had your kids at two. It's I, fine. I had them very young. But, but I do think 
growing up in the 80s, mm-hmm. you know, we were told that the thinner you were, the better. And these are your role models. And you have to look a certain way, mm-hmm. especially I think white women, like that whole heroin chic mm-hmm. look that was in. And you know, I feel guilty because I'm sure I have in some way passed that on to my own kids, right? Mm-hmm. This idea that this is the way to look. You should be concentrating on the male gaze. And mm-hmm. even if I didn't say it, they saw it in me. And so they will do it better and they will do it differently. Do you ever struggle with weight, like your own mm-hmm. mental feelings surrounding mm-hmm. your weight or your looks or aging? Uh, all of it. Right. Um, I think what was interesting is this sort of sense of dysmorphia. And I think because I was the target of the gun lobby and they would, you know, talk about my looks or, you know, would they really, they would go for, they would always go for, I'm an old hag, I'm a shrew, I'm, you know, farther from the truth. (laughs) They would take pictures of me that said I look too thin. They would take pictures of me that said I look too heavy. Um, they would compare me to there's this other woman who's a gun extremist named Dana Lash, who's mm-hmm. sort of been my nemesis for the last 10 years, uh-huh. and who is prettier. And, it, you know, I do think that took a toll mm-hmm. on me and and at times has distorted. And, and, and I also felt I had to sort of look a certain way or present a certain way to be in the public eye. Right. So it's been it's complicated. Mm-hmm. I think when you're a woman, there are all those I can't just be an activist. Right. Right. I have to be all these other things too. Yeah, you'd be perfect, mm-hmm. essentially, right? That's I mean, what we're, we're taught. talking about the fact that like, you know, self love is so important. But also if you want to take care of yourself in whatever way that looks, mm-hmm. that's okay too. It's mm-hmm. your own personal ju- personal mm-hmm. journey with it. I just I don't know if aging gracefully is ever I, I we say it's it's wonderful when we see Pamela Anderson Looking not wear makeup. Yeah. But then but then my first question goes, Well, does mm-hmm. she have Botox? Like that's what I thought to myself. Mm. I thought, well, of she course might. she can look makeup, and it doesn't even matter. It's just the right. fact that I was thinking, well, has she helped herself, and how she looks so good, and is that I, what I need? I, or I like actually a conversation? was thinking about writing about this because mm. is it not just another form of telling women how they should look? Like, right. if we're mm. telling women they have to age in a certain it's way, focusing on right. mm, why right. can't we just all look the way we want to look? If that means we've had a ton of plastic surgery, if that means we've had a little, if that means we've had none, you know, why are we policing each other? And why are we focusing on like, even talking about not talking about the body is talking about the body. (laughs) It is. You know what I mean? Like, Do we talk about men's like, bodies? Yeah, it's like let's accept self love, unfat shaming. Yeah. Let's just not talk about someone's body and sack of skin. Yes. I know when men, who cares? It's true. It's true. And when men go to an event, like uh, let's say the the opposite of Pamela Anderson, they're not like he didn't color his gray hair today. <laughs> oh my what goodness, he you wore tucked out shirts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, I agree right? with you though. Yeah. By even talking about it at all, mm-hmm. we're talking about it, right? And we're also putting another standard on women. Right. If, if a woman wants to wear makeup, who cares? Who cares, right? If she wants to wear makeup, she doesn't want to wear makeup. Yeah. If she wants to color her hair or not color her yeah, hair. Exactly. Like, it's whatever that person feels comfortable yep. in, right? It's always a topic of conversation. Always. always. And I think it will always be, like we were saying before, like things seem to be getting better, but they're not there yet. Mm. I mean... And I think it's well-intentioned, but we have to think about like, what are we buying into when we greet another woman and we say, oh, you look like you've lost weight. Right. Or, you know, mm. it, it's almost so ingrained right. that we have to break these patterns. Right. I don't even know if I would be able to walk into a room if I knew someone was working out mm-hmm. and looked slimmer for me not to say something. I'd almost feel yeah. rude by being silent right right like 
You would think that yeah. they might want to call. But then a your more. husband is looking good right now, and I said to him, "I was like, looking good, David." He lapped it up like you've never seen anyone like a lap. He was like, "Thank you so much. I've been trying. Can you really tell the difference?" And I felt super comfortable saying it to yeah, him. Yeah, right. But like, imagine someone saying it to you, and you're struggling with loss yeah, or grief right. or anxiety or depression, or maybe an or eating disorder. An then. eating disorder. I can remember the times people told me I looked the best was when I was struggling the most, and I had no. Appetite. Wow. In my life. Interesting. I'm always my thinnest when I'm going through a rough patch. Can't people look the best when they have like a glimmer in their eye? Nice smile. No, because you want to eat when you're happy. (laughs) When I'm happy, I just cannot stop thinking about like French fries. Like I'm happy. Yes, yes. All the the good things. When I'm unhappy, I just I don't have an appetite at all. Is that what it is? Mm. Like you're like I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like appetite right morning, noon, and night. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I feel like when I get stressed is when I have right. mm-hmm. like because I haven't been able to like eat. I don't know. It's been weird like this week. So yeah. I think, but yeah, I mean, it's it's always a struggle that we're dealing with, right? You know, part of this transition, I decided to take a psychedelic journey. Oh, mm, how was please. that? It was Tell really fascinating. That. But do you know what kept okay. coming up? What my Wait. body? <gasps> and that's what, what would happen to me. Yes. Psychedelic? Did you take? I did a combination of MDMA and okay. mushrooms, okay. which I'd never done. Oh, okay. And I had sort of a journey person there with me. Okay. And I thought this is a great time to do it in my life. Right. And I was hoping that it was going to be more about thinking about the future and right. wrapping up a chapter. <laughs> right, right. No, it's like all the childhood issues oh, and trauma. One of those was absolutely weight and body. And I thought that was fascinating that here I am 52 years old and that's what I'm talking about. My mother's 70 something and she still thinks about if she ate too much one day, she'll mm. eat less the next. Really? Oh, yeah. And I said to her the other day, I said, enjoy your life. Right. Like it's enough. It's enough. It's time to stop. Mm-hmm. Like no one cares. Right. Um, talking about psychedelic journeys, <laughs> I would love to think that I would be able to do it, but I think I'm way too much of a control freak to actually be able to enjoy or even let myself go through an experience like that. Are you a controlling person? I am a type A perfectionist controlling person. Who so never done anything like it. No. And my husband does it pretty regularly. So I, I had a role model and um, – Again, I thought this was a good time in my life. And because it was the combination of the two drugs, it wasn't just mushrooms. It wasn't just MDMA. The MDMA serves as a heart opener. So it really takes away all those controlling, closed off impulses. And I found that to be incredibly helpful. Mm. So you took, you took, so we're, for, first of all, going into it, were you nervous? Oh, like, yes. And oh. like, what, how did you like kind of get through that? And then like, what was the actual process? Were you sitting there, you took the pills and then when did it kick in and all the stuff? Well, I had I was very nervous and I planned it out a few months. And what happened was right before the first time that I had an appointment, there was a horrific shooting tragedy. <sighs> and she said to me, don't come in because we don't want you to be in that frame of mind. So then I put it out a little bit further. And so finally the day came and it's an all day event, right? You You kind of just lay down, you take, she had capsules. My husband has done it where he's actually had to eat the mushrooms, which I could not do. Um, and then she decides when you're going to take the MDMA, the heart opener. And I mean, I got there at 8 a.m. and I didn't leave till 8 p.m. And it was so you a stayed zo- in a room, I stayed in one room, well, laying I'd be down. Like, Get me out! I feel trapped. The snakes are coming. The snakes. <laughs> That's going to be my experience. <laughs> I really didn't have anything. I think again because the MDMA, there was nothing scary. There was nothing. But but you do start to talk about things that come into your mind, and you do, you do- see things. Yeah, I mean, you. What did you see? 
there's just a lot of um I'm Buddhist and so for some reason like the Buddhist hellscape kept coming into my mind. It wasn't scary. It was more like the and you, you images saw it, saw it. Mm. absolutely in the room. Mm. In you and have a you mask know, on. Gotcha. And so do you, you know that you're on like do you know you've taken something? Because when I yes. smoked marijuana one time, I drove myself to the hospital. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I was dying. Okay. I was full dying. I was stuck between life and death. I was somewhere in the middle. I'd gone pa- I was dead, but I hadn't reached the next step. So I was like in the middle. And I drove myself to the hospital and then really slow. Uh, like, how, how were you greeted? I was, I was, I was so, was I was pizza? going so, I was literally going like four miles an hour. I swear to God. People were like, bah, 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 bah. I was so slow. And I got there and then I freaked out and then I fell asleep and then I woke up and then I went to Domino's. Are you, oh, so and, you didn't and, go into the no, hospital? No, 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 no. It was the best but I drove, ever. And I remember having red shoes on because I was like, this is appropriate. I remember the shoes so well. I, st- I kept those shoes. And then I was like, this is the worst drug. <laughs> Ever. I called my mom. I was like, I just want to let you know I'm dead. <laughs> and she was like, what is happening? So, you know, I'm not dead, but I'm not alive. I'm somewhere in the middle. So that was a terrible experience. Yes, I can so see I'm wondering, yeah. is it like that? Uh, I've never yeah, had that like, experience no. when I'm high. But, um, but I, you know, again, I am a person who does not like to let go of control. Yeah. I, I don't like to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I really wasn't interested in re-examining my entire life. <laughs> but I will say in retrospect now that it it did sort of clear away the debris. It did allow me to feel like I closed a chapter. The person I was on the journey with was, kept saying things like, you know, you, you're, it's okay. You can step back. You're done. Um, and, and the other thing I did, which was really interesting, is I went on a retreat with a complete group of strangers for a whole week by myself. And it was like, you were talking about how do we share information? It was just a circle of women. I don't know if you know who Heidi Rose Robbins is, but she's in Los Angeles and she does these community circles of women and brings them together. And you dance, which if you say joyful movement to me, it's like my worst nightmare. (laughs) For you, it's getting high. For me, it's dancing. (laughs) And I did it all week and I drew and I was creative. And so I, I just... I think I'm proof positive that even after you're 50, you can still try and do new things. That's yeah. so Would interesting. you do it again? Yeah. I, I am going to do it again next year. Oh. You're like I'm doing it right now. Yeah. An I'm, annual. <laughs> I need a year. I need a year. Right now. Yes. Gosh, that sounds interesting. I'd like to do something yes. that kind of opens me that? like that. Um, not for those purposes. <laughs> not to better yourself. No, no, okay, no. Not no. to better yourself. Why does that make sense to me? You've just done that. Yeah. Well, you know, I would try MDMA because that's like, um, that's like ecstasy, right? Yes. I would do that in a therapy session. Mm-hmm. I've heard they you do, do, do that, that with your husband in yes. a therapy session. Drugs are very different these days than when they were sort of back in my day, it was right. kind of like very, a free for all. Yeah. Well, there's and a street version. Right. There's a prescription. Right. And there's right. like so yeah. many things that could be added to it. And then, like with a medical professional, yeah. mm-hmm. you can maybe experience something that you've never that you'll never do sober, right? And it's so controlled. I feel like it's a right. safe it's environment. Very controlled. Yep. Um, Imagine Tamen. being on MDMA, though. I just be like literally- so much more. I'm already a very sexual person. It oh, would God. just be my husband be like, "We're never doing this again." <laughs> Never, because I'll be like, I'll just be touching him and be like, I'm touched out. Oh, wait, I'm maybe, done. Maybe he doesn't you want to be touched. Do it me. together, but we'll put a wall in. The- <laughs> <laughs> so you can't no, I don't want to be taking MDMA with you. I'd be, I'd be like trying to hump you. Oh no, 
She's like, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't feel the urge to hump anyone. (laughs) Well, you also had, well, I don't know if that's the type of person you are. Are you a humping person? Are you a humper? I'm not a humper. See? I'm a humper. She's a humper. I I will hump. That's, yeah, I won't now, but I I prefer to, like I like to. I mean, there's still time. She's here. Well, just make sure you tell the person you do that with. I'm a humper. I'm a humper. I'm a humper, and I will give you... Fair warning, okay? <laughs> but uh, maybe one day, if my fear, mm. I, I, I'm, I'm really controlled by fear. My mm. whole life's been like that. I think it's just, I love my mom, but she was mm. a very fearful, she is a very fearful person. My dad's not, but I mm. think that I was more codependent with my mother. And so there's a lot of fear and, and doing something like that. But this could really, transform that, right? That's I just couldn't like, sw- like swallow it. I would <laughs> freak out. I'm doing an MRI after this, and I'm already thinking about like, I asked her, like, can I get out? Like, what happens if they scan my brain? It's a preventative. Um, they scan your whole body for an hour. And I'm like, what if they've scanned my brain and I want to just say, get out for a second to see if I can and then come back in? Can we start start from the boobs down? Or does it have She's to start already anticipating her escape from the machine. I, I think you should be anticipating your results. I mean, exactly. you, you say you're full of fear, but you want to see everything that. inside your body. I don't care about that. I don't care about that part. She's like, tell, tell me whatever you do, but just yeah. get me out of the machine. I don't care about I just care about the machine. <laughs> so funny. I'll wiggle my toes. Can I, you do that? Yeah, you can wiggle your toes. You can yeah. wiggle your toes. You can swallow. You can Good. blink your eyes. I'll go take some <laughs> You can drugs. breathe. Oh, yes. Before you go, we want to ask you a few quick questions. Sure. Okay. Yes. Um, what is one skill that you think people, women especially, in leadership all possess? Oh, one, the main skill that women in leadership possess? The courage to say what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm. No matter what the yep. outcome. No matter what the blowback is. Mm-hmm. Okay. What is been, what has been your proudest moment so far? Without kids. Without kids. Not kids. Not excluding kids. The election of Lucy McBath to Congress. She was a Moms to Man Action volunteer, a gun violence survivor. She's now a congresswoman in Georgia. Wow. That's a good That's one. Amazing. I don't have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, mm. yeah. um, what is your greatest fear? Mm. What is my greatest fear? My greatest fear right now is is democracy unraveling. Mm-hmm. I really am am scared to see what I haven't seen in my lifetime. I don't think my grandparents saw in their lifetime. Um, I'm not saying we can't write ourselves; we can, but I I fear that we're going down a dark path. Mm-hmm. What is your dream? What do you want to have happen? Not just parody. I want women to be in charge of everything. Yes, yes. girl. <laughs> we do. We need to be okay. And then two that are. More fun. Um, okay. What animal are you most afraid of? <laughs> elephants. <gasps> I almost died on an elephant. No. It was an accidental. I wasn't <laughs> on the elephant. I accidentally got on the elephant recently in Indonesia. Sorry, I'll let you please explain why, and then I'll tell you my death story. <laughs> I was in I was in Africa. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, and afterwards we did this little safari thing, and they all had AR-15s in case the elephants charged us, mm-hmm. and I always thought they were cute until then. Yeah. So I was in Indonesia and you were allowed to swim with the elephants and I did recently and I was patting one on the side. They were like, you can pat the elephant. They were in the water and one got 
aggressive and started to stand and I was on the side of it and I ended up being on top of the elephant oh. and it started to run and I was on top of the elephant. My kids were crying. My mom was crying. You were probably shitting your bra- pants. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah. And, yes. It was. Yeah. And, and I didn't think it was going to stop. Oh. Um, and they just, kept, they just kept yelling at me, hold on. I'm like, well, I'm not going to let go. Like that was not my first choice. I was like, just let go, drop and roll. So I was holding on so tight and then at some point it calmed down and I got off, but that was, yeah, because well, if well, they that, charge, now you're just telling me I should be afraid of it. Yes. <laughs> just read It's a yeah. really good. Fear. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Okay. One fun one. Okay, a fun one. Let's say. Oh, what has been your most embarrassing moment? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, what is my most embarrassing moment? <sighs> I'm trying to think. She's like being here and telling you all my secrets. <laughs> yeah, secrets. Exactly. You know, I, I think it's not necessarily embarrassment. I just have a fear of public speaking. Mm-hmm. And I've had to get over that. But every time I do it, I kind of feel that fear. Mm-hmm. And I'm worried I'm going to make a fool of myself. Mm-hmm. Do you have imposter syndrome? Do I have it? I don't have imposter syndrome. But I do have a desire to be perfect. I have a desire to do everything really well. And I have a fear of letting people down. Mm. Maybe that's why you don't like to be vulnerable. Yes. Mm. I mean, or, or vice versa. Mm. We're psychoanalyzing <laughs> yes. here right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're like, that's the reason. Yeah, I feel like I, I have that too, perfectionism. Mm. I was a child actor, so, you know. You're you, good though about being vulnerable. I think you were saying about not being perfect. I was like, <laughs> thanks, Roxy. I'm, I'm, I'm really good at package vulnerability. Okay. Package, like I can you give just- you vulnerability in a great, where I feel safe. Mm-hmm. But I think my really dark stuff. Is hard. It's hard. Probably hard for me it's to hard. reveal. That's See, what Glennon Doyle calls it: package vulnerability. Yeah, package vulnerability. Mm. I don't like being vulnerable at all. Either. You don't even I'm get like, in the package. No, no. <laughs> I'm not even going to be the stamp on the package. Right. You know, like no, we'll no, get no, there. No, no, no. Okay. Thank you so much, Shannon, for coming. Yeah. We are so grateful that you're here. I hope that our listeners have gotten some information that might help. You know, help get them involved. Mm-hmm. I think this was the first year I started to actually be actively involved in gun reform. Um, it affected me in a way where I just couldn't couldn't stand by anymore and stand back. So I had to do something, and I was been I've been very vocal and mm-hmm. and um, I hope everyone feels like they too can stand up. Well, you're showing them that. So thank you both for shining a light on this issue. Um, as we talked about that vocal minority, that's what it is. It's a minority. And so even if you're getting blowback, know that the vast majority of people in America stand with you and there's strength in numbers. We all have to be talking about the the need for solutions to this crisis. Well, where can everyone find you? Where can they follow you? Every, your Substack. Mm-hmm. So I'm on Shannon R. Watts at most social media, including Substack. Um, you can also find Moms to Man Action uh, on Twitter, on or what used to be called Twitter, on Instagram. Um, the website is momstomanaction.org. There are chapters in every single state, in most cities. If you text the word READY to 64433, a volunteer will call you back and get wow. you involved. Amazing. Mm, that's amazing. Well, Roxy Soxy, I will see you next year. I know. <laughs> yes, thanks guys so much. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and comment. I am t- uh, We Are Women on Top Official on Instagram. <laughs> we Are Women on Top podcast on Facebook, Women on Top Official on TikTok, and Women on Top on YouTube. I'm glad you've got that tongue twister. <laughs> I am Devin Sarasak. And I am Roxy Manning. And we are talking to... Shannon Watts. Thank and you. We are women, women on, on top. top. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>